doing our best to illustrate biotech with a crayon on this healthcare episode of Industry Focus. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus Healthcare. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and I have special guest Max Macaluso on Skype from our Denver, Colorado office. Welcome to the show, Max. Thanks, Christine. So Max wears many hats here at The Fool, but he was trained as a scientist. And so we wanted to do a deeper dive, but also kind of a 10,000 feet look at a lot of the, the science behind some of these different drug classes that we hear about. Peter Lynch, famous investor, says, never invest in any idea you can't illustrate with a crayon. So at the risk of getting too weedsy, we wanted to take some of our concepts that we, we talk about in the drug developing world and see if we can make them a little bit more draw with a crayon a ball. So first off, I want to ask you, Max, is your approach due to your science background, is it different when you're looking at biotech or pharma stocks? Or do you think it's the same sort of financials nitty gritty as somebody without a scientific background? Well, it's a good question. And the first thing I need to be cautious of typically is not to be drawn in by the scientific story. And in order to avoid that, I've, I've developed a very simple framework that uh, I'm sure people have heard me talk about before. I just refer to it as the three P's. And that, that also helps you distinguish between some of the big pharmas and the smaller biotechs. And the three P's stand for portfolio, patents, and pipeline. So we can look at each one in a little bit more detail. The portfolio, Christine, uh, as you know, is just the drugs that the company company currently has on the market. Uh, this, as an investor, will help you identify what the sales drivers are. It will also let you know whether or not they have any products on the market. A lot of smaller biotechs uh, are still uh, pre-commercial stage, uh, and the valuation is driven by what's in the pipeline, which we'll get to in a little bit. So portfolio is the first P. The second P is patents. So that answers the question, how long will the company have patent protection on the drugs in its portfolio? Uh, we know that once uh, drugs go off patent, generic competition enters the market, and typically those drugs lose about 90% of their sales. So it can be devastating if a company doesn't have another drug coming up through uh, to to replace that dropped revenue. And that brings us to the third part. Uh, the last P is pipeline. So when drugs come off patent, uh, looking a few years ahead, does a company have anything in its pipeline that has a good chance of FDA approval uh, that is potentially in a big market that can close that gap. Uh, so typically, the three Ps, portfolio, patents, and pipeline, is where I start. That gives you a clue as to whether this is a big pharma, uh, which already has drugs on the market, or a small biotech that's still pre-commercial stage. And then after I look at those, uh, just to get a, a, my, my feet wet when, uh, when I'm looking at a new stock, then I dig into the financials. Okay, so in looking at particularly portfolio and pipeline, maybe not as much patent, it seems like it would be really helpful to understand some of the science of what's going on. And as you mentioned, you don't want to be fooled by a good scientific story. And of course, this is fool with the lowercase f here. But it's still very helpful to know exactly what makes a certain class of drugs competitive or maybe vulnerable to risks of a new and even better class coming up. So with that, we want to focus today on just a couple of types of drugs and getting a better understanding of how they work. The first class that we wanted to talk about, I don't know if we've ever actually mentioned these by names on the show, but we've talked about examples of them in abundance, and these are GPCRs. So Max, can you take it from here? What exactly are these? 
Sure. Well, uh, GPCR stands for uh, a G protein coupled receptor. Uh, they're also called serpentine receptors. It's kind of a, a neat name only because they're, they're composed of seven helices that kind of wind up and down in the cell membrane. And so they're like used for like a snake. Exactly. Nice. Um, I mean, they don't really look like that, but uh, all of the, uh, the images that are based on the crystal structures kind of look like that. Hence so the name. if you have your cram box out, start drawing a snake. Exactly. Um, but you know, they're used for signaling, um, Essentially, something will bind to the outside of that receptor, uh, outside of the cell, and that causes a reaction within the cell. So it's kind of like a telegram. You know, someone knocks on the door, hands a telegram to the person, the person delivers the message. So they're not actually entering through the door. They just relay a message. That's called a signal cascade. Uh, and GPCRs are very prevalent throughout the body, and they modulate a lot of different biological processes. So, Christine, for instance, did you have a cup of coffee this morning? I did not. I'm trying to wean myself off of it. But I know plenty okay. of people that did. <laughs> well, I certainly did. Um, and I like a little bit of sugar in my coffee. So the the sensation of both bitter and sweet tastes are modulated by GPCRs, as well as other sensors, uh, senses like sight and smell. Uh, there are also cardiovascular functions and even mood, certain types of moods like happiness are, are modulated by GPCRs like serotonin receptors. So they're very prevalent. Um, for a, a variety of biological processes. So how exactly are they important to the drug industry? Well, it might be surprising, but around 30% of prescription drugs currently on the market target a GPCR. Um, so they, they've been around for a long time, and it's still a very hot area of research. Uh, one example is Hiptaris. This is a GPCR specialist who was recently acquired for around $400 million, and there are a number of companies working in this area. And also, just to, to put this in context, um, a crystal structure of the first human, or I should say the, the first crystal structure of a human GPCR won the Nobel Prize in 2012. Uh, and that paper was published in 2007. So, you know, often with the Nobel Prizes, it could take a couple decades, three decades, four decades to be recognized for, for work. In this case, it was only five years uh, so GPCRs are incredibly important to the drug industry. They'll continue to be. And there are a lot of prominent examples of drugs that target this class of uh, proteins. Zeprexa from Eli Lilly that treats schizophrenia is one example. You've probably heard of Clarinex as well. That's a popular antihistamine made by Merck. And Zantac uh, made by Boehringer Ingelheim. Those are three prominent examples. Yeah, to add to that list, because there really are a ton of them, uh, we've got Adveridiscus from GlaxoSmithKline, uh, Abilify, uh, OxyContin. There are really a ton of these. Um, do you want to pick maybe one in particular, a company working in this space, uh, and go a little bit deeper? Sure. Well, uh, I think a lot of listeners are familiar with Arena Pharmaceuticals. It's uh, very active in, in this field. Uh, it has one FDA-approved drug for the treatment of obesity. It's called Belvique. Uh, Christine, I don't know if you've talked about it on the show before. I would be surprised if we haven't. Yeah, the yeah. obesity <laughs> drug makers definitely garnered a lot of interest, particularly in the, the early goings of these drugs. Um, really, really huge promise. Clearly, obesity is something that a lot of people are struggling with. And so you look at that market and you say, oh, man, if somebody could create a good drug to minimize obesity, like that that should be huge. But it, Exactly. It should be. If you look at the uh, uh, performance of Arena over the last year, the shares have dropped around 65%. And over the last 10 years, 
They've dropped around 90%. And a lot of that decline has been driven by the hype around obesity medications and, unfortunately, the poor sales that have followed the launch. So, like you said, a lot of companies were competing for a piece of this market. They all found that demand for the drug for uh, for this indication just was not as robust as they previously thought. Now, what's interesting about Arena is even though sales of Belvique have, have been very slow to ramp up, at the J.P. Morgan conference, they, they mentioned that they're going to try to de-emphasize um, its obesity drug and instead focus on its pipeline, which is full of drugs that target GPCRs. Uh, I think it's a good move. I think there are a lot of interesting drugs in development there. One targets the S1P1 receptor, uh, GPCR, G-protein couple receptor, so that, that that's in that drug class as well. Uh, this is a very competitive market. There are drugs from Celgene and Actelion that Arena would have to potentially compete with if it gets FDA approval. But it's also a big market. It's in the autoimmune space. Arena also has a partnership with Boehringer Ingelheim on CNS drugs. Uh, that could lead to more than $240 million in milestone payments. But, you know, look at Arena's cash burn. It's around $100 million last year. Uh, it does have $150 million in cash, so there's not a, an immediate cash crunch coming. But as an investor, I would say wait until you see some of the readouts from its phase two trials. Um, don't focus too much on the phase one trials in this pipeline. It's still way too early to attribute any uh, any value to those. Um, so, you know, I, I would say wait for readouts from the phase two trials before revisiting it. Um, and at the same time, there, there are other companies that we'll talk about later in the show that, that have uh, even deeper pipelines in arena. Yeah, I, I think the concept of let's wait and see is pretty directly relevant to the next class of drugs that we wanted to talk about, which is RNAi. Yeah, RNAi is uh, is another incredibly interesting class. Uh, it refers to RNA interference. So to put it all in context, there's a cascade of information that goes from DNA to RNA to the creation of proteins. So RNA helps make proteins like GPCRs and little peptides that bind to GPCRs in the body. Um, and we just talked about how many drugs target uh, GPCR. So what RNA interference does is it moves the process further upstream. Instead of tackling the disease by targeting the protein, you move one step up and interfere with the creation of that protein by attacking messenger RNA that would uh, translate the, the the genetic code into a protein. So it's referred to as gene silencing. And Christine, it's uh, it's very complex. Uh, it also won a Nobel Prize in 2006 to, to put that into context too. The best analogy I, I have is very, very crude. It's a, a leaky faucet. So the, the example here is, you know, let, let's say your, your sink is broken. Um, the pipe is bursting, right? One solution is to put a bucket under the sink and you know, you're going to have to wait for it to fill up. You'll have to dump it out and put it back under the sink. So that's one way that you can solve that problem. Or you can turn off the faucet. So in the case of RNA interference, the analogy I like to use is that you turn off the faucet. You go a step further up in the process and, and try to solve the, the disease there. Well, if the analogy holds true, that seems like a much better solution. Are there drugs out there now doing this? Uh, not yet. Uh, Alnylam is the most prominent example of uh, a company working in this space. It's a, it's a leader in this area of research. It has a $5 billion market cap. Um, it's a very exciting biotech to watch, but it, it doesn't currently have any drugs on the market. Uh, it has two programs in phase three development. The rest of its assets are uh, in phase two or earlier. 
but it does have a very deep pipeline of uh, of therapeutics that could have huge market potential. Uh, I think for investors, the focus at this stage is less about the market opportunity, though, and more about whether or not they can get a drug approved by the FDA in this drug class. If it's able to do that, it can basically just create a brand new type of therapeutic that that we just haven't seen before. Yeah, and unfortunately, you're going to have to sit tight on that. The company's not expected to file its first application until 2017, so we're looking at maybe seeing approval in 2018. The company itself is not expected to be profitable until at least 2020. So definitely a bit of a waiting game right now. But I think you're totally right that if we were to see even a single approval, it would go a long way to validating this entire class of drugs and the rest of the company's pipeline. What I'm reminded of is Ionis. And they, I believe they have a pretty similar drug platform. Is it? I guess it's not exactly the same since there aren't any RNAi drugs out there. But how is what Ionis is doing different? So Ionis focuses on antisense technology, and just like RNAi, it focuses on silencing genes by targeting messenger RNA. Uh, but they do it through different pathways. And to be honest, Christine, even with a CRAN, I don't think I would be able to illustrate the difference between those two. They're, they're both very complex. Now, the difference that investors should focus on here is that Ionis has a huge platform of antisense drugs that are going through uh, clinical development right now. And it has an FDA-approved drug already on the market. That's Kynamro. Uh, it, it treats a very rare disease that results in dangerously high cholesterol levels. And it's the first antisense drug to reach the market. So that bodes very well for validating the company's platform. Uh, do, do, you, do you have a guess on how many drugs Ionis has in its pipeline? I'm guessing you, you may already ballpark know based on your previous it's discussions. It's a ton. I'm going to guess 60. Oh, almost. Well, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, 38, but I mean, close to 40 drugs in in a pipeline for a company this size is is incredible. It also has a number of partnerships with big pharma companies like AstraZeneca, Bayer, GlaxoSmithKline, Biogen. Has a, a hefty cash pile on its balance sheet, around 800 million in cash and short-term investments. So, again, you know, investors are going to have to be incredibly patient with Ionis. Um, the development of Drugs of this complexity takes a lot of time, but uh, you know management is very solid. If you haven't heard of Stanley Cook, um, incredible CEO, very interesting story, very passionate about the company and uh, the technology they're developing. So uh, this is definitely one to watch. And uh, for listeners that have heard us talk about them previously, this is the company that used to be known as Isis Pharmaceuticals, changed their name to Ionis. So. Um, Max, last question I have for you. If you had to put money behind one company that we've talked about today, which would it be? It's a great question. Uh, I'm not a shareholder of any of the companies we spoke about today, but I am thinking about buying shares in Al Nylum. Um, so it's this, the stock I've done the most amount of research on. And uh, in my mind, it has the most exciting platform. Uh, RNAi, like I said, is is very complex, um, but you know the the reward comes with a great deal of risk as well. So, like we talked about, they have yet to get a drug approved by the FDA. If that happens, uh, I'll feel more comfortable investing in it, um, only because it'll validate the platform. But if I were to put um, an investment behind one of these stocks, it, w- it would probably be Al Nylum. Sounds like a good choice. 
As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Max, thank you so much for joining me today. This was fun. Thank you, Christine. Folks listening, let us know what you thought of today's episode, or feel free to send us pictures of snakes and leaky faucets or your own portfolio illustrated by Crayon. Our email address is industryfocus at fool.com, and you can also reach us on Twitter at MFIndustryFocus. Industry Focus.